Okay, welcome back everybody. Welcome back to the Steadcast. We're here and as promised, the frequency of the Steadcast is improving. We're doing uh, it. We're doing it. We're doing it. We're back live at Chilton Fields in Stowmarket again, just sat in the middle of some random playing fields on what is an unexpectedly beautiful Friday. Yeah, well, it's funny because last week we were obviously fretting that the weather was going to be against us. It was going to rain on us by the time we finished the pod. Whereas this morning when I woke up, it was absolutely hammering down. I didn't think we were going to get to record at all. And it's turned into this absolutely stunning day. It's lovely. Yeah, hopefully we won't be going home too pink. We found probably the only shady spot with seats in the park. So, yeah, we're good. Uh, If you're wondering who this is, because we've had people wondering before (laughs) and pondering in the comments section, I am your host, Kieran Clements. I'm the head coach of Steadfast Runners. I do a little bit of running around myself. And I'm joined by co-host Sam Wade. Hello, Kieran. Hello, Sam. How are we doing? What are we talking about today? Well, we're talking about a few different things that we can continue to catch up on because for anyone who's listening to this pod for the first time, we've been a bit absent, hence the uh, excitement around the frequency increase. (laughs) So we've still got a bit of catching up to do, and then we're going to talk about the benefits of being coached. Exactly, yeah. Why is it important to be coached? Because I think it's something that a lot of people kind of neglect a little bit. They kind of think, oh, well... It's just running, isn't it? It's simple. You get from one place to the other as fast as you can. But we'll come back to that later because we've got some some news items that you want to chat about. Yeah, and I think it's important to catch up. And the first thing, I think, is just to give a bit of an update on the marathon international scene. Most <laughs> Yeah, there is none. Well, exactly, yeah. And most notably that New York and Berlin have both called it quits. Yep, yeah, New York. All the way in, as we speak, it's, what is it, the 20-something of June? <laughs> 26th of of June, New York Marathon all the way in November has already decided, nope, it's not worth it. It's just not going to happen. The logistics aren't there. The money isn't there. It's not safe for the competitors. For whatever reasons, New York cancelled. Berlin, obviously a little bit closer in September. That's been cancelled. But the one that we really kind of is a little bit closer to home for us, literally and mentally or emotionally, is the London Marathon, which sits right in between those two. And it's really, really annoying me. I don't know if I had whinged about this email. I can't remember if I had it last week. You almost certainly have. Uh, Anyway, but basically, to anyone who's running the London Marathon or was supposed to be, you'll have got the same email as me. To anyone who wasn't, they basically sent us this completely pointless email saying something to the tune of, you'll be aware that the Great North Run has been cancelled. So many of you assume that the London Marathon has been cancelled. This isn't the case yet. And it basically went on this big, long, massive email to say, it's not cancelled yet, but everything else is cancelled. But we do care about you, but we're not going to cancel anything yet. Which all it says to me is that there's some investment, there's something to do with money somewhere, there's something going on that basically says they won't call it just yet until they've got all their eggs in the basket and then they'll they'll cancel it when they know because at the moment they're just leading everyone along yeah i think i'm inclined to agree with you there i think it's probably something behind the scenes that doesn't really have much to do with the people running at all um obviously we spoke before this and we said you're as a charity runner probably the bottom of the pile who would actually get to run so (laughs) how was how much training have you been doing if any at all zero training zilch training i have a little bit you've got out for a couple of runs just for yeah for kind of the fun of it and i think that's the best thing to do at the moment because we're not we're by no means out of the woods yet with the the whole rona situation so no especially just get out and run just for the fun of it just tick over and enjoy what you're doing enjoy the process if you really want a target chase a 5k pb i think anyone marathon training right now 
you'll do well from the aerobic benefits and the fitness gains that you get from it but it's so unlikely that you're going to get to run a marathon i know there's a lot of people saying oh but i'm running a local marathon there's only 500 competitors that's going to be in it the likelihood is that once these more and more of these big marathons fall it's going to be a trickle down effect and i think definitely it's unlikely that we're going to see much competition below the elite level i think yeah and i think until next year and i think if there is any hope for the london marathon and i don't think there will be um it may well come in the form of how they hosted the Tokyo Marathon, which was just the elites. Just an elites only, yeah. Um, and I think they'll probably, they probably won't use the traditional London Marathon course as well. They'll probably have some kind of alteration of it and it'll be a lapped course. Maybe, yeah. what I'd love to see is I'd love to see a Battersea Park Marathon. I think that would be awesome yeah. for elites only. Yeah, I, laps and laps and laps. Yeah, be get quick. it on TV, film it, because people are desperate for sports at the moment. I know we've got the Premier League back and some other sports as well. Formula One is on its way back, but... Yeah, I think it would be cool. I'd, I'd watch it no matter what, but I think people would tune in to watch that. I think it would be a cool spectacle. If, if you could make it, I think if you use the, here we go, this is how I think I would approach it if I was an organiser. You could give it the kind of London Marathon header and you could use the London Marathon branding so it becomes a watchable event, mm. but you don't give it the feeling that people are missing out. Like if I watched a load of people running around Battersea Park, I'd be thinking like, okay, well, they're going for it. The elites that I recognize are there. It's going to be a good race, fast, whatever. Mm. But I think if I saw a load of people swinging around, but going past Buckingham Palace and finishing up, I'd be like, that's supposed to be me doing that, damn it. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, and I think... <laughs> if you I, see them running down the mall, you're like, oh, I could be, I could be doing that. It, albeit exactly. maybe about an hour later. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think that's the thing is if you, if you are going to do it, use something to keep it somewhat familiar with the branding and the way you present certain aspects of it. But don't, like I say, don't use the exact same thing because one, then it's going to be more difficult to control crowds and things like that. And that's yeah. not fair on police and emergency services, blah, blah, blah. And then also it's not fair on people like me who want to actually go out there and run it for real, but don't have the opportunity. Exactly. And to be honest, I think we're even talking quite, it's quite wishful thinking even to have an elite only event because first of all, it won't count towards Olympic qualifying. They've suspended Olympic qualifying as it stands until I think it's the 1st of January or maybe it's the 1st of December. Either way, right. London Marathon falls in that window of suspended qualifying. So having an elites only race, it wouldn't be an Olympic trials unless the IAAF lift, or I guess it's World Athletics now, lift that suspension. Right. So there's not a lot of incentive for the elite of the elite. If you branded it maybe as a British championship, maybe there's some incentive to win a British championship. They've just moved the British Athletics Championship to December, I think it's September the 4th or something. It's an early weekend in September. I think there might be, they might still be torn between two dates. Right. And it was supposed to be, first of all, it was supposed to be last weekend. Then they moved it to the middle of August. Now we're looking at September, which, I mean, should we move on to that? Should we move away from marathons and talk about kind of... Yeah, what I, don't, the... I don't want to keep being brought down every time I think about my, my potential <laughs> glory. All well, I there's get. only so much we can say about a marathon that's probably not going to happen. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll move on to something that's looking like it probably is going to happen. So these British Athletics champs, they're going to happen behind closed doors. So no crowds, which um, anyone who's been to a British Athletics champs before will know that doesn't really make a lot of difference to normal proceedings. Uh, unfortunately, I'd love to see crowds there, but they just don't seem to be attracted to it for whatever reason. <coughs> Price tag. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd like to see them go ahead. I'd like to compete in them. I'm personally, on a personal level, I'm quite happy that it's been moved back a month or so because it gives me more time to come back from injury and to, to get into shape for it. Yeah, definitely. And the thing is, is, like we talked a little bit 
in our pod last week, it, it's good to see that sports are coming back in some facets. And even just today, funnily enough, obviously boxing, the other sport I talk about so much, um, Matchroom Sport, who organise all the Sky Sports events, like Anthony Joshua events and things like that, mm-hmm. they've just announced how they're going to perform four back-to-back weeks of fights. Um, it, behind closed doors um so again that's another i mean that's an enormously high profile spectator sport but they're finding yeah. a way to do it um, and they're still finding a way to put the content on because people you know people want to watch the sports so you and i want to watch the sports and athletes like you as well they this want is to compete what, in the sport yeah, yeah it's you know, a livelihood it's livelihood it's and the other thing as well is even if it wasn't even if you had all the money in the bank as well it's it's your identity to a degree it's kind of you know you need that yeah, do you know no, what I mean? I know, like, yeah, I get exactly. When, I, when you I get itchy to not as do well it. as anybody else, yeah, no, yeah. I'm, I can barely run at the moment, and I'm itching to try and compete. Um, exactly. But yeah, no, that's that's pretty cool. I didn't know that. I suppose boxing as well. Really, you only need three people, literally, to ho- to host a boxing match. You need, you know, the one corner, the other corner, and the ref, and that's yeah. That's it, really. Maybe the odd coach or something, but are they really not that necessary? Like, can you have boxing without them? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like I say, it's, it's really cool to to see how some sports are adapting. And the thing is, as well, is it's not going to be it's not going to be forever. And if twenty twenty gives you some sort of unique opportunity to perform under a, under some other kind of circumstance, you've got to look at it as it will probably end up being unique somehow. And if you can spin it into some sort of silver lining, whether it's, you know, this was the quarantine championships or like we were the, cause there's got to be something you can be like, yeah, that was the only race that took part in the whole like, you know, last quarter of the, yeah, of the exactly. year. So you've got to find something in there to make it exciting, right? Well, moving back to British championships, like that's still a national title that's up for grabs. I mean, yeah. that's no, <laughs> it's not something to be sniffed at. Like that's pretty, pretty cool. If you win a national championship, you're still a national champion, no matter what year it was in like no matter who showed up like likelihood is again because you can't use it as an olympic qualifier yeah the top dogs who are going to realistically anyone who's going to go to the olympics is probably not going to compete because they're probably oh, maybe they will maybe they'll be desperate for competition as well i don't it's so hard to tell because i mean the diamond league have just cancelled a couple of events they've just cancelled i think it was uh the eugene diamond league which would have been awesome to see that new prefontaine stadium um, and the Paris one, I think. That's right, yeah. Yeah, those two have just been cancelled. So, yeah, I mean, the domestic scene could either be really strong because everyone's desperate to race like, and the top dogs are showing up to everything, or it could be a little bit weak because they could be, well, what's the point? Let me just hold my cards close to my chest. Let's yeah. not risk injury of running after having not trained on a track you never you never think however however long (laughs) you never think as literally participation being that much of a strategy but it is is really really strategical given everything that's going on and because there's so much limited opportunity limited opportunity for participation 100 percent. well the top of the top race strategically no matter like anyway but now it's taken on a whole new dynamic so it is going to be really interesting to see who races when and where and also what races are available when and where it's it's a crap time but an equally kind of exciting time for athletics definitely well the other thing that was exciting and obviously we had a brief chin wag about it before we hit go on this uh, pod um was that we saw that mo farah is going to be attempting a record yeah yeah he's going for the world record over the one hour run which i think people will probably listen and probably would have seen that and thought oh yeah like, that's probably a weak record like surely he'll definitely do that he'll be guaranteed it but we did a couple of we did some calculations and stuff, and we looked at kind of the previous record and stuff. First of all, the previous record holder is none other than Haile Gebrselassie, who... It's a big boot I, to fill, isn't it's it? It's a pretty big boot to fill, and 
my bets are he probably didn't go easy to try and make it a soft record. Or if no. it was a soft record before, he didn't just just nip it on the line, just put one extra yard on the record. Like, no. He was probably going for it. Well, considering that most of his legacies was kind of like, he just got people to sit up and go like, wow, how's a human doing that? You'd yeah. like to think that every single record that he went for, he had that same attitude and a one-hour record should be no different. I would imagine so. And I think you can probably quite safely rank Gabriel Selassie as certainly safely top five I personally I'd put him as the third greatest runner of all time between behind Kanisa and Kipchoge yeah but I mean that's up for debate yeah, that's, you think that's another pod isn't that's, it? yeah that's probably a whole other pod uh, we've done similar things before yeah. I mean he's I think he's included in our greatest performance and our greatest races podcast yeah, in some way shape or form yeah too um, right well when you consider as well um, on the basis of and this is obviously the chat that we were having but we'll have it again for everyone listening is that when you consider that he was a marathon world record holder as well if you hear one hour and you consider that all the marathon world records have been you know two and change you'd go well roughly you've got to be doing half marathon in an hour yeah, yeah so. well, I think I, I don't know what he ran for the half marathon, but I know that he would have run through. We I mean, we figured it out, and this is by no means accurate because we don't actually know his split, but we figured out he would have roughly gone through the half marathon in about 59 for this for this um, record that he set. So Mo's going to have to PB through the half marathon. Yeah. And a PB that he ran on the Great North Run course, which obviously is point to point and downhill. Yeah. So... It's it's going to take probably his best ever performance over the half and then an extra minute or so yeah. of running to break the record. So it's not, yeah, it's definitely not a given. I think he's going to be aided in his footwear, which we had a quick chat about. Because I said, is he going to do it in spikes or is he going to do it in alpha flies? And I think we've pretty much come to the conclusion that we assume it's going to be done in the alpha flies. Given the performances over distance that have happened since the explosion of of the uh, Nike footwear, you'd, you'd think that he'd go for it. That yeah, way, I mean, they've you? got a fancy pair of spikes that have got uh, a nice big, oh, big midfoot. Yeah, yeah, they've got a big midfoot and they've got, uh, they've got a carbon plate in them, but... I just think an hour in spikes. I mean, I've run a 10K in spikes and that's that's bad enough. That usually kind of sets me back a week or so in training of just having to chill out and let my calves recover. Um, obviously, he's done a lot of distance races in spikes. He's done 10K, 5K heats, then 5K finals at World Championships and Olympics before. And that's all within kind of a few days. So I, I don't know. It'll be interesting that this is the kind of age that we live in where footwear is one of the most interesting things about any given race is what footwear is he going to wear so yeah. well it'll we'll be yeah it'll be interesting and the thing is as well is i i almost drew a parallel to it because it sounds like it's i don't know how they'll do it with with the actual event organization but it sounds to me like it's going to be one of these kind of organized special edition events and obviously we've started to understand the context of that more since two hours and breaking two and all these sorts of things mm. so it'll be interesting to see if this is another successful or very very close or something like that if they then begin to see that these things are popular people are watching them and maybe if they start to come up with more weird and wacky ways to kind of adapt athletics bend the rules enough to make it still a legitimately impressive achievement but also kind of you know give anybody the best chance to go out there and perform and create something new and exceptional. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's plenty of there's plenty of cool things that they can do with the event as well. I mean, they've got the um, the technology, the pacing technology that they used at Parliament Hill at the night of the ten thousand PBs, and they've used it in a few other places as well. I think even the Ingebrigtsens may have used it at the Impossible Games a few weeks ago. Right. Where they basically they have a little light, an LED light on the inside of the track, and that sets the pace for you. So you just follow this stream of light. 
and the pacemaker just has to look down. If you're on the light, you're on pace. Nice. So say if he set that to whatever, the exactly world record pace, and then all he's got to do is he's got to kick in the last lap because he's Murray, he can probably... Stomach it, yeah. Yeah, he can probably <laughs> hang. Um, he's just got to sprint a light, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so they could do something like that. There's, I don't know, did it say where they were going to host it, or have they not decided yet? Uh, let I, me just check. It's I don't Brussels. remember seeing anyway. Oh, it's going to be in Brussels. Yeah, let okay, me... Okay, it'll just be in the Diamond League Stadium then, I imagine. Yeah, let's just have a quick, a quick look. Uh... On. We've got some some dead air. Yeah, Brussels Sam just goes. On yeah, his phone no, you're here. right. Yeah, Brussels, <laughs> Brussels on the fourth of September. Fourth of September. Okay. Yeah, interesting. But it'll be good. It'll be a good one to watch. Yeah, and uh, that's good. So that rules Mo out of the five k at British Champs. Then, so that's one place made up for me. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, I tell you what, Mo won't be able to miss on the build up to his event as he will need a coach to guide him there so shall we get into yeah, the main bolt of the, our pod the old meat and potatoes of the pod you like yeah. that phrase you say that I a lot. do I do it's uh it works quite well with our just random ramblings before <laughs> then actually getting into like i say the meat and potatoes of the pod so yeah today we're just going to talk and we haven't really planned any of this at all we've just thought let's just chat about having a coach and coaching i have a coach sam has me as his kind of interim coach for when he needs to <laughs> when I'm get actually... fit for an event when he's got a target <laughs> yeah when i actually to... have something to work towards yeah yeah which i mean your your targets are kind of more few and far sporadic, between yeah. yeah more sporadic <laughs> more just when you fancy you're like oh yeah i'll just run an 18 minute 5k or 37 10k or whatever it was that you ran yeah, it yeah. um earlier on in the year was it was it even this year it was it january. doesn't feel like the same it, year it at was all, january it? yeah, it was, yeah. Like, i think it was like 19th of january or something it was a really <laughs> long time ago yeah no, that's ridiculous yeah um but yeah, I just yeah, well, I just think it would be a good topic for us to chat about. Yeah, the value of having somebody to kind of take some of the pressure off, to have more of a kind of I don't know what to call it, just a, a better view of what you're doing, an outsider view of what you're doing. Because I've been self-coached and I've been coached, and I've had kind of different reactions to both. The obviously the right coach and the right athlete have to come together, but. I think overall, like just having somebody who's got that holistic view and that outside looking in, look at your training, because you're too, you're a little too close to the action if you're coaching yourself. And it's a very difficult skill to master to kind of separate yourself from that training. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think the, the biggest thing for me, and I'm obviously very fortunate that I know you and I've been able to talk about a lot of my experiences and things, and we've shared so much through the sport. But I think the biggest thing is if you're... If you're starting to get into something or if you're, yeah, so let's say, for example, like I started going uh, climbing, like indoor climbing walls a few years ago, and something like that was so new and so alien and you need to have somebody else there. Like you you have to have somebody to teach you. Yeah. But with running, for example, everybody knows, even if, even if you get the people to go, oh, I can't run down the road, I couldn't run a bath or whatever they say, <laughs> is that everyone knows how to do it in some form or another. So yeah. ev- everyone can get themselves out of the door and try it. It's then when you realize that maybe I should try and draw some benefit from it. Maybe I need some direction. Because let's be honest, I bet you know a hundred people that have said, I really want to go to the gym, but I'm a bit scared. I don't know what I'd do. on. I don't know how I'd do any of the lifts or the oh, machines. But between if everyone listening to this probably knows a hundred people that have said that and done that. So Ex- exactly. Between all of the listeners, there's probably hundreds of thousands of people. <laughs> exactly. And the thing is, is you don't necessarily need a personal trainer or a coach, but sometimes just what you need is you just need an external person to come in and point you in the right direction and show you enough to get you going. You just need a bit of direction, yeah. And I think a coach can kind of come from several different aspects. If it's just, you know, a kid at a running club and he just has the kind of the 
person who runs that so he can begin to understand what he likes or I shouldn't say he what they like and Ooh, we've what been they invaded don't like. there's some there's a dog invasion <laughs> this is <laughs> the perks of recording a podcast yeah, in the park yeah um but yeah so you so yeah so you need sometimes to get the direction and the understanding of where you're going to go and some people might at that point begin to understand where they feel most comfortable because if they think actually i'm quite comfortable going out running my park run i don't want to take it any further then they've had the experience with and without some form of coach but then Mm. if somebody and I, i must admit i notice this a lot is when i start to get hungry for something i start looking out for more guidance because I can get really, really hungry for a 5K time or a marathon time, whatever it might be. And I can say, yeah, I'm going to go out and attack it as hard as possible. But short of Googling marathon training plan, I wouldn't yeah. really have that much of a clue. Well, and- that, the biggest thing that you, that I'm taking away from what you said there is basically if you're going out, even if it is just a park run once a week, if you have a time that you think this is my best time, this is my PB and I want to run better than that, you are a performance athlete and you do have a desire to be better and having a coach is a really simple step to getting you to getting yourself to a place where you can work towards being better yeah and like it like you say it may just be something so simple as an idea that you just haven't thought of like most people who are new to running don't do interval training they don't they just go out and they run relatively hard most days some days harder than other and that's kind of it they think oh i'm training for a 5k so i need to run 5k yeah whereas obviously now you know when you train for a 5k i had you doing you know 12 13 mile long runs but then i also had you doing four mile really really easy recovery runs i had you taking deliberate rest days we would do sessions of massive hills yeah we'd do 12 times a hill 12 times 70 seconds on the hill or we'd go to the track and we'd do you know some 1k reps or some 1200s or mixing it up some 12 some fours and then back to a 12 and then sprint some twos like it's just having somebody who kind of knows the ins and outs of how you should be responding to different things and how to get from a to b yeah in in the best way possible basically and it's interesting because i think if you use the sort of you know the phrase many hands make light work i think if you apply that to this you know many many feet make for light miles or something like that um (laughs) well that makes sense because realistically if you wanted to have the absolute best holistic all-round approach to being the best runner you possibly could you would want obviously yourself the athlete you'd want a coach you'd want a physio you'd want a sports massage a nutritionist you'd want a nutritionist you'd want a sports psychologist what else could you get um fans (laughs) yeah no seriously though fans fans if you had like a little fan club that would bring you on like a like I think just about anyone, and I know this from personal experience as well, is the louder the crowd, the higher your kind of arousal levels and your motivation to to run as fast as you can and to win ultimately. Yeah. It all adds up. And, and to, to kind of go down the point of, of that many people is that it can be really difficult. It's like you say, you, you run out of inspiration, but you know what it's like. Even, even on the days where you're going like, Joe, you know I don't want to go to work or I'm feeling rough or I can't be bothered to see my mates down the pub or whatever it might be. Like Sometimes you have these obligations that you set yourself, whether they're professional or personal, and you get going and you're like, Do you know what? I just can't be bothered. I can't be bothered. And then you see another person and there's just they do something that just brings you up and it just uplifts you and all of a sudden you get this burst of energy and that is something that i think is absolutely invaluable from the from a coach and from teamwork 
is that yeah there we go and actually that's something that we missed off of our little list there is training partners yeah how much easier you know this through personal experience how much easier is it to get through a long run or a tough session or something like that with a training partner massively it's such a such a big difference but we're talking about coaches today and a guy yelling at you holding a stopwatch can sometimes be just as good as a training (laughs) partner (laughs) they can't block the wind for you but yeah it's and this is Another thing, we're getting all of our topics off of the group chat lately because this is another thing that kind of got a little bit of discussion on our group chat. Um, again, the steadfast group chat with myself, Sam, a bunch of athletes that I coach. Um, and yeah, we were just talking about why having a coach and having somebody there to motivate you just gives you that extra little shove to get out the door on days when you don't want to or just has you run that final rep in a long session that you just really can't be asked to do or stops you from slipping and falling off the pace in the middle of a tempo when it's i don't know you just don't feel good or it's hot or something yeah it's just yeah i think that was the general consensus is the motivational aspect is probably or just the accountability yeah well i'll tell you what shall we run this um if i maybe talk a little bit about some of my experiences of going into more serious running and having you give me some ideas and then maybe we'll get you to just talk about some of your experiences maybe from kind of being self-taught and then picking up a coach and then maybe what you've learned as a coach give it a little bit yeah structure. sure i mean i've been th- i've gone through just about every system of yeah. coaching that, so <laughs> that you, you kind of have like i i started off in the club system in the uk when i was you know a teenager all the way up until i moved to america for uni then i was in the ncaa system came back was self-coached and now i'm kind of working with i suppose you'd call it a private coach um who's obviously a pretty accomplished runner himself chris thompson olympian i think he's third fastest ten thousand meter of all time so yeah uh, we'll go with your with um your kind of experiences from the from the scale of somebody who kind of runs because it's fun and it's just something that you like to do and then we'll go i'll talk about kind of more being on kind of the club sub elite type of scene yeah so i would say the biggest thing that might be intimidating as well and i think this is true with a lot of different things is is if you want to do something getting a coach might seem kind of intimidating in some ways because you're not necessarily sure because because it's not necessarily a tangible thing it's not like i pay you and then you give me a thing it's you only give me wisdom you know yeah and that and that sometimes can be a difficult thing to maybe justify especially if you go oh well he's only going to set me runs i can set myself runs google can set me runs or things like that so you know actually that's i'll I'll jump in real quick here because i really had a kind of an internal debate with myself recently because I assigned somebody I've somebody that I coach who will remain nameless because I'll just protect his identity for now I've I've let it slip that it's a him already but basically someone was just struggling a little bit with training and they had been for a couple of weeks and I was like well you've put in some really good work and he'd run some really good sessions and some good time trials and run pbs and that sort of thing and I was like why don't we just take a rest week like just do absolutely nothing for a week and i kind of was having the internal debate of like but hang on you're paying me to set you training and i'm telling you not to train like am i not doing my job here and i basically eventually settled on the fact of my job isn't to actually just set training it's to look out for the best for that athlete to guide in their long-term development Yeah, yeah like it's not a month to month thing i'm not looking just one month ahead for people like for most people that i coach i am looking months and years down the line yeah and taking a break taking a week off is something that i personally do 
and pretty much everybody that I know that runs to my level will take at least one week completely off running. Well, you take in a, it in a cycle in a you, year. You take it, you know, you take you take a holiday off work, don't you? So any any other context, you take a break at some yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. Just because you want to go like that, you know? <laughs> exactly. And it's that classic that classic formula of stress plus rest equals adaption, and that's true for literally. Like I've said before on probably a million times on this podcast, <laughs> listeners are probably sick of hearing it, but it's so true. Yeah. It's probably the foundation of how to improve at literally anything in life. Like Definitely. If it's maths, running, I don't know, hunting. Car, car sales. Yeah, my car dark sales. History. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, stress plus rest equals growth yeah so definitely and and like we said there can sometimes feel some some of that stress almost can be like oh i don't know whether i should do it i'm not sure if i'm serious enough or things like that but you'll find your rhythm and from somebody who realized that they can go out and run and do okay at it i've noticed a massive difference in my own ability and performance just in the time that i've taken it a bit more seriously with you setting me some sessions yeah well a good quote from you when we were out on a run together is that you said your body literally feels different (laughs) fair you were pretty big back in you know 2013 14 when we were kind of just out of sick form you went to the gym and you just got i say big he was not fat i don't think there was an ounce of fat on you but you were massive so it's not surprising that you felt like a completely different human dropping probably god knows how much weight and yeah just leaning out and getting your aerobic system fired up and just being able to do things like run a sub five minute mile yeah it's and and it becomes really exciting so so from my experience and just in some real because i obviously i don't have years and years and years of it but i've got enough that i guess i could bullet point some key things and my first few things would be just about got years plural yeah just about yeah as i'd say obviously if if you're thinking about if you enjoy running or if you've got that kind of level of engagement where you go I feel like I may be plateauing or I think I could squeeze it out a little bit more, but I'm not sure. Don't be afraid to ask the questions and ping here in a you know, ping here in an email or or sort of explore maybe other people that you know that have been coached in some facet or another because generally I think you'll find the stories are positive. Moving it on then, I would then say the next thing is the accountability is something that's absolutely huge. And you and I have talked about this a lot, is that mm. simply having a different dynamic adapted sometimes it's even beneficial to not necessarily understand exactly what you're doing and how it immediately relates to something because it almost pr- proves a sense of loyalty if you go like i went out and did this but i'm not sure you can then sort of a coach will be able to go oh well you're listening and this is the reason why you did it yeah exactly and i, I do find myself kind of explaining why quite a lot because i think it's good for it's good to know why like I always whenever I do anything in training I like to know what the purpose of it is and we've spoken about this before with easy running is knowing the purpose of the day if I set you let's say you personally you've done a hard session on Saturday and I've said okay Sunday just go out for four miles at eight minute miling and don't run faster than eight minute mile you've got to run super super easy and I'll tell and sometimes that you'll just be like yeah fine I'll go do that other times it'll be like okay well why like I feel all right I'll say, well, because you've done that hard session, you need to recover, stress plus rest equals adaption. And you've also got this big session on Tuesday that we're going to do. So you need to be ready to go on that day. Yeah, and and that also is, is, this is, and I think this is obviously a word that will be built into a lot of, certainly your aspect of this, but relationships are so, so important because the trust needs to be there on both sides. You need to trust 
what's being set to you in one go because you, you know, maybe you don't know what's coming next and you've got to trust that that the person is going to get you prepped in the right way because I would feel I think the trust level and maybe the loyalty level would slip slightly if I had a rough session and he said just go out and do what you want and then I wasn't told that I was expected to go out and do a really hard session again a couple of days later. I'd be like, "Whoa, what the hell? Come on, yeah. you're supposed to be help. You know, you're supposed to be helping me out here." Yeah, exactly. If you were just, if you were, if I said, "Oh yeah, just go and do what you want," and you'd gone and hammered an eight miler, and then the next day I was like, "Right, okay, today we're going to do eight times a k exactly. at your ten k PV pace." Like, exactly. It would be a horrible thing to do to another person. Exactly. But so I know I li- I like what you say, and I'm going to make another one of my big grand sweeping statement which I love to do if there's not buy-in on both sides there's no point if you're not going to buy into your coach's program don't bother you're wasting your time you're wasting his time you're potentially wasting your own money if you're not going to buy in don't just yeah it's not going to work well that is and the same thing with the coach if the coach isn't going to buy into the athlete's goals to the athlete's ability and to what the athlete kind of wants to do there's no point in them coaching them like a lot of everyone that I coach has very different goals and ways that they like to go about achieving those goals and it's my job to tailor their training as best as i can to meet those goals definitely it's not definitely. like yeah it's almost got everything but also nothing to do with me if that makes sense yeah well the way that i would read that is is it's kind of you know you, you wouldn't want to spend lots of time getting a really perfect gift for somebody and then they just leave it in the box because even <laughs> though even though they physically got it and you've you know been paid or yeah in your format of a coach you've been paid or whatever like it'd be easy to sit back on the greed and be like okay I'm getting paid but I don't have to do anything this is great oh I mean but, there's plenty of decent training plans out there that broadly work that you can just copy and paste from the internet but exactly that's, that's not really the point I mean coaching is such an individual thing every single athlete needs something slightly different it's a sense it's a sense of pride in your work as well because mm. if you're a coach you want to be you want to be able to look and go like this is my athlete look at what they went out and ran look at what she or he did at the weekend like isn't that great in the same way that if i were to use my experience say as a photographer which is kind of my thing that i've done for years if i finished say a wedding for example and i shipped off all those images and somebody just went yeah they're great and i went oh what was your favorite and they go oh you know they're all good i'll just have another look at them later you know if i didn't think that somebody had taken the time to go through and really look at the images that i've taken things that causes an immense amount of work for me and i feel immensely mm. proud of being able to go to that customer or that person and go look there are your images i really hope you enjoy them for them then to just not be appreciated in some way for me not to be able to effectively show off what i've done and be like look <laughs> look at these things it, it like you say it loses something from both sides so it is so so important to really get that relationship engaged and dynamic because you'll just get the best out of each other yeah exactly exactly and i do find i was speaking to my physio about this earlier actually when i was getting my foot worked on is that the athletes who perform best are generally the ones that i have the bet that have the best kind of communication skills if that makes sense like the ones that i've seen not before not run the fastest all the time but make the biggest improvements and sometimes even surprise me with what they've been able to do are the ones that are kind of able to communicate well, communicate effectively and often kind of how they're feeling, what they've managed to do, breaking down splits in a session because I can only really force so much information out of somebody remotely. If I'm there at the track side holding a stopwatch, watching you run as you and I have done for some sessions before, it's much easier to kind of adapt on the fly and to yeah. kind of assess things. Like there's been plenty of times when you've had your plan and we've had to pretty much just scrap the whole thing and do something completely different. But well, 
to jump in, sorry, I was just thinking that there's been at least two or three occasions I can think of where I've had a long day at work or it's just been a rough afternoon or whatever. And I've texted you, I'll be like, mate, I just, I can't do this session you've sent me today. Yeah. And I've always expected secretly for you to be just going like, oh, for God's sake, Sam, at the other end. But the <laughs> fact that even if you don't, even if you think that personally, you've always come back and said, well, that's no worries, just adapt it to this. And then I can think of at least some sessions where I've done. I can't remember exactly. I think the three mile, the three mile tempo plus. I think it was a few two hundreds that you did up Northgate at like ten p.m. or something ridiculous a couple years ago. I think that's that's the big that's the biggest example that sticks out in my mind because I think you were really stressing about it that day because we had a big session planned for you. I think it was. I think I was supposed to go to Alton Water that day and didn't make it. That was it. Yeah, you were supposed to do a tempo round Alton Water, which is obviously one of the hardest sessions that I had you do during that time because we were basically just doing speed work with the odd couple of tempo and long run thrown in because uh, we had a pretty limited amount of time to work with. But I was like, don't worry about it. Like, just go on the track. Like, it's not what you were supposed to do, but it's the same type of thing. And you probably got more out of that session than you might have done slogging yourself around yeah. out on water the following day or getting yeah. up at 4 a.m. fit it in before work <laughs> yeah well the big thing as well and and again this this comes from a, a sort of a relationship side of things is is that mentally and obviously we've talked about mental progress so much and running is obviously such a mental sport when you really get into it is that in that situation had i have just written the rest of the day off i'd have probably half felt guilty that i didn't have a run to report back to you half feel annoyed that i didn't get my own run in and then half be stressed that i'm going on about yeah, you know, when am I going to adapt and when am I going to fit it in and have I ruined my training? Like all of these different yeah. re- so you've got emotions. Well, you've got two big things there is accountability and adaptability, which are things that are pretty tough to, to hold yourself to just by yourself. Exactly. And especially if it's just something on paper, because if it's just something on you know, paper, is not going to talk back at you and go, well, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. Whereas at least if I can come to you or if I can go to a coach or a friend or whoever is helping me out and say, look, this is how I felt, this is that. And then you can like say adapt on the fly it's really important because then you get that the mentality side of things comes back and you feel uplifted or you feel you know you can almost clear your conscience through someone else it's like confessionals in the church you know (laughs) exactly you can go there forgive me father i have not run today and they go don't worry go out and do this instead and you'll be fine you know it's that it's that kind of cleansing cleansing your running soul this is getting really wistful (laughs) sun's going down it's pleasant yeah it's like we're almost forming a cult here (laughs) but it's like you say like if you're about to do something weird i'm gonna i'm gonna cut you off from whatever it is you're about to do here (laughs) sam wade for prime minister (laughs) there it is cool i mean you probably do a better job but there we won't get political here um i forget what i was gonna say now yeah oh i was saying like if you don't communicate and you don't tell me that you don't feel good that day or you don't want to do the session that day it's difficult to adapt as well and that's where i think you were quite good as an athlete um what was i something i thought of earlier ah something my coach said yesterday or a couple of days ago because i kind of had taken my sweet ass time and didn't ring him until the evening right uh having already done my run and everything earlier on that day and i was like yeah i don't really have anything to say about it like the run was just fine like yeah there was there's nothing to report and like yeah that's good news but at the same time like I just, he was like yeah this i'm just a, an agony aunt really just <laughs> like, a, it was just a vanilla you don't run, you don't yeah. hear anything from athletes unless it's gone badly basically <laughs> and i was like well hang on if it goes really really well you'll hear from me pretty instantly but yeah yeah unless it's been amazing or terrible often <laughs> coaches won't hear and 
no news is often quite good news. Yeah. I know I've just harped on about like you must tell me everything, give me as much data as possible. But at the same time, no news is quite often good news because it just means the athletes got their head down and they're working hard and they're you know they're sticking to the plan and there's no nothing that's stopping them from doing that. Yeah. So well, the thing is uh, again apply that. So this is this is the Soundwave rationale side of the podcast is applying this to every other random situation <laughs> in life. Is the think about. Yeah, think about your experience buying something. If you have a really middle of the road, you walk into a shop, you buy a Kit Kat, and you walk out like you're never going to write home about it. No, if Whereas, you have a terrible one, suddenly you're up on Google, you're emailing the manager, exactly you know, that sort of thing. Or, Same as if it's amazing. Yes, yeah. so yeah, exactly. As if you have a really good experience, and that's something that I've received as a customer in some facets. It's something I like. I hope that I've given to people as a salesman as well is that it feels really, really good then if you have a great experience for both parties to go away and go, I felt good about that one. Mm. And then the customer comes back and goes, oh, wow, you know, this was an amazing experience. I you know, recommend all my friends. And that's <laughs> that's that dynamic that you want. And if you can get that from a from a coach, then that's even better. But like you say, if it's completely you know, down we could the even, the We road, could even apply that to this podcast. People, which seems, I guess, the majority of people are just kind of middle of the road about it. But we've had the one person commented that was like, I don't know who you are. You must introduce yourselves because clearly they hated that. And not then we've the, had some not... other people say, oh, that was a brilliant episode. Lots of great insight. <laughs> uh, one that stands out is somebody really liked the Jake Shelley episode uh, when yeah. we talked about anti-doping. Someone was like, yeah, that's a really cool insight. Yeah, go so, back and listen to guys, it. If you, if you hated it, comment. If you, if you liked it, comment. If not, just stay silent. if you literally just listen to it in the car and you did nothing else at least do us a favor just go into the comments don't do anything else just write the word vanilla <laughs> yeah there we go we'll see how many comments of vanilla we can get <laughs> on this episode <laughs> or actually I, whenever i check comments i really it shows how tech savvy i am sam is definitely the the tech guy between us he's the one that puts it all together and stuff I think you only comment just broadly on the podcast as far as i can see you don't comment like per episode uh, I know YouTube is obviously different. Generally, I just try and give a bit of an overview on what episode it is. But I oh try no, and... I mean people in the comments. When somebody drops a comment like on this, we're getting a little bit off track here. We are slightly, but it's okay. Um, yeah, generally, I just try and give some overview. I don't like to get too personal with comments on things because I've realised that it's a really good way to go down a rabbit hole of spending far too much time talking to people when actually you've talked. Yeah, I've already spent an hour what it is talking to you, and then <laughs> the idea that then I'm going to spend loads even time, longer just typing back. It's, yeah, no, yeah. it's it's good to be engaging and dynamic with this sort of thing, but um, but yeah, you've got to, yeah, you've got to call it at some point, haven't you? Yeah, for sure. But yeah, uh, why don't you talk about your experience? Maybe just kind of first experiences with a coach, and maybe what made kind of your first experience with a coach different to then say when you moved into America. So like your kind of school. Up we'll go. We'll spend America. a little bit of time on each section, I suppose. Yeah, so we've go got on. yeah, we've got the club section when I was a teenager, America section, self coach section, and now coming back full circle to being coached again. Yeah. You having a, he's having a little peek at the time. What are we on? I don't even know. I can't even read. The thing. It's too, <laughs> too, too bright. Too sunny to read. Right. So when I first started, I had pretty much the same introduction to running as just about every other runner, and we talked about this in I think it was our first ever podcast where yeah. you interviewed me on my kind of running career and it was just I, I liked football I was a footballer as a kid not a proper footballer I played for Elmset Football Club which is a village near me you probably don't even know where Elmset is do you not, not a Scooby no, it's got a nice airfield lovely <laughs> that's, that's what it's famous for lots of those tiny little planes with propellers um but yeah I played football I did the odd school cross country just I was the best runner in the school um but I didn't really train or anything like that and just one day I was invited by one of the coaches to come down to the local club or well the local 
kind of athletics club. There was a few running clubs closer to me that I didn't really pay much attention to. But Ipswich Harriers went down there, was training with a group of guys, roughly my own age, guys and girls. Um, and we were just having fun with it. I mean, our warm up would generally be about half an hour of headers and volleys, a five minute jog, a couple of high knees, a couple of kind of I, they were called strides but we were just racing each other over about 60 meters or so just running Love as fast it. as we can crack on with a grass session or a road run or a track session or something like that and then do another two or three minutes jog cool down go home and finally eat your dinner at 9 30 at night um and like that that those two were just those were probably the most fun times that i had um in terms of just athletics just being a hobby yeah I mean, I was I got relatively fast, relatively quickly, and I ended up winning you know, national junior titles and things like that. But at no point did it become super, super serious during that time. It was just always kind of yeah, like a hobby, like a fun, like a bit of fun. I would go down there on a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and just run around with my mates, basically <laughs> try and yeah. put as much distance between me and them as possible, or try and keep up with some of the older ones. Yeah. Um, but the clubs, I think the club system's great because it does it catches you right at that time where it's quite easy to fall out of sports like football and things like that as your mates kind of lose interest. And it just brought me together with a new group of people. It was good fun. The coaching was kind of, I mean, we were allowed to play headers and volleys. Not allowed, but we did. <laughs> we found the room to play headers and volleys for half an hour before training every Tuesday, Thursday evening. So it was fairly relaxed, but at the same time, there was a level of coaching where... You know, you would. We were still doing structured sessions. We'd do a structured warm up. We were taught kind of how to do a warm up, how to do drills, and basically just prepare ourselves well for for action, basically for running yeah. hard, for running fast. And yeah, the sessions were not quite as complex as or as long as they are now. A staple that we would do would be six times three minutes on the grass off of about a ninety second jog recovery. Um, which again, that was kind of nice because you training in a group in the jog recovery the faster guys would jog back for the slower so you'd all start in a group yeah for every rep so i thought that was kind of fun it's um, kind of setting up a foundation by the sounds thing, yeah so it? the club system is basically I and mean, you pay your membership to your club it's not anything like having a private coach uh, you pay your membership to your club i'm sure most people listening know this anyway and you join whatever group you want to join in the club or whatever group will have you and yeah, that group is assigned a coach. The coach usually works for free. Um, they don't take anything out of it other than just the love for the sport and the love for, for people's PBs. Uh, speak of which, my coach is actually calling me now. <laughs> shall I answer or shall I call him back? I'll give him a ring back later. Um, yeah, so we've got we've got the club system. I don't really know how much more I can I can say about that. It's To me, it was more of a bit of fun rather than taking it too seriously i know there are a lot of athletes now that are quite high level that still go through that type of system but it to me just is not quite what i need personally i kind of like a more kind of tailored approach well i mean when you're growing up especially you need you need enough structure to keep you interested but enough fun to make you know to kind of keep 100 the most important thing for kids under the age of 18 in athletics is for it to be enjoyable it's like your performance until that age it feels like the most important thing in the world that you get to go to English schools or that you, you know, win a medal in the national juniors or something like that. But the most important thing isn't the sessions, isn't the structure of how it's how you're training or anything like that. It's literally just staying in the sport. Yeah. Because you ultimately, like, you probably will reach your potential eventually. 
you're not going to most people aren't going to reach their lifetime best potential before the age of 18 because you just haven't your body hasn't developed your body is still developing up until the age of about 24 25 yeah especially a male body um so yeah went from from there from that little you know club system junior athletics in the uk moved out to the ncaa and that was quite a step up um basically more of a step up in kind of mileage than intensity we like to train at quite high intensities in the uk but just sort of shorter sessions so whereas a staple in the uk would be maybe 10 times 400 off with a you know a minute recovery trying to do that as close to 1500 meter pace as possible a session in the us would be something more like i don't know our staple during cross-country season was five by 2k Right, so. <laughs> yeah. So it's just a little bit extra, yeah. Yeah, or we'd do one k hills, for example. Oh, that sounds um, horrible. Yeah, well, you know, even more horrible is we would get driven back down the hill. So instead of getting a nice <laughs> long jog recovery, it's no, no, get in the van, get in my van, and we'll drive, get driven to the bottom of the hill by the coaches. So, and that's that's one thing that was quite different about the NCAA is you see your coach every single day because you have daily practice. Uh, there's an NCAA day off once a week, which, I mean, you still are instructed for and you still run for. But, yeah, that was kind of the main the main difference was the volume and just having a lot more of a hands-on approach, despite that coach still being kind of responsible for, you know, 30, 40 different athletes. I think I was fortunate being one of the faster runners on the team. Uh, so I got kind of a little more, kind of, I suppose, attention is the right word, or a little more of a tailored program. Um but yeah, that was the biggest difference in the NCAA. Uh, it's obviously less kind of less tailored specifically towards one person as a private coach might be, but certainly probably a step up from the from the UK club system. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, there's uh, there's not really a huge amount more to say about the coaching there. I mean, they're obviously employed coaches. They're employed by the university. Yeah. Um, so it's in their best interest to get the best performance out of you. And that's that's maybe one thing that I could say broadly about the NCAA. I was fortunate, Iona, that I didn't have this experience. But broadly speaking, some NCAA coaches, and again, it's a minority, but they'll want to squeeze every bit of performance out of these 18 to 22-year-olds where perhaps a long and perhaps they're not looking out for the best interest of the athletes or for a long-term approach. Right, so it's almost like a burnout kind of... Uh, I don't want to use the word burnout, but yeah, basically. Yeah. Well, just very quickly, last point before we just maybe move on to your experience now having private coach, obviously being older and having more um, kind of understanding of yeah, professional sure. scene. Um, when you're in something like that, my immediate thought goes to, because I've seen obviously some of the groups you train, I've met your teammates when you're, when you're out there. Yeah. Um, do you find that you get enough individual attention or is it just tend to be like, this is what your group is doing, you stick with the group and... That's that's how it goes. But if, if you if you then say you were struggling on a particular day, I'd expect you to be able to go there and say, look, I'm feeling like this. But would you ever necessarily get maybe singled out and say, look, can we just try this with you instead? Like, did you get that kind of personal guidance? To a certain extent, yes. Uh, it varied quite a lot between the track and the cross-country season because cross-country out there isn't a team sport more than an individual sport. Right. It is quite a lot of... And I think this is where people get the wrong impression about the NCAA. It is quite a lot of this is what the team's doing, so this is what everyone's doing. Whereas when it comes to track season, you have you will break off into your group, so you'll have sort of a 5K group or a 1500 group or a 10,000 meter group, and they'll do different sessions, but it will be it will be the same for the group. But then even within that group, there are 
sometimes differences like between individuals say if you've got a guy who's run 345 for the 1500 and a guy who's run 359 for the 1500 they're not going to do the same session no but let's say the session's 10 by 400 we'll use that as a nice easy example you may have the 345 guy do 10 400s and the 359 guy do 10 300s okay and then they're able to sort of run together and they're able to trade off reps Yeah. yeah it's just you know you're your faster guy is and doing I guess, an extra 100 meters. And, and I guess that's the benefit of having a good coach with experience is he knows how to adapt enough to to make it kind of coherent with everyone. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, you could you could split that session up a million different ways, couldn't you? You could yeah. do have the 359 go 400, 200 and just alternate those so he gets that extra bit of rest. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, so we'll move on, on to kind of coming out of the NCAA and self-coaching. So self-coaching some runners can do it and i think i did it to quite a lot of success i think i did it to probably the maximum amount of success that i could have had but as well i think that comes down to me just sort of naturally being a coach i don't want to blow my own trumpet too much but like coaching is something that i've always looked towards doing for other people right and i've always kind of and I have now had it confirmed by a bunch of people running massive pbs that yeah. i'm pretty decent at it so I think it's something that I'm quite naturally attuned to and I'm able to kind of take a step back and take a look at the bigger picture even within my own training. But I think I just sort of basically just reached a peak that I didn't really know how to get past. And it was a pretty high peak. Like I ran 13.53 and 27.37 and I think I ran 4.02 for the mile, something like that, or 3.44 for the 1500. So it was a pretty decent peak, but it just wasn't the big, the, the next step up. It was yeah. the next step up that I needed to make. Uh, and that was what basically got me, yeah, got me into my situation at the moment with having a an actual coach who's working with just myself and a few others. Yeah. Just to say, if, if you were going to say, so say, for example, somebody said, look, I'm not sure I... I'm quite confident enough to introduce a coach and maybe still like wasn't financially comfortable enough to start paying for one or whatever it might be. Mm. If somebody said to you, look, I just want some advice on how to start self-coaching or what's the first thing I should do if I if I want to attempt to self-coach myself with any degree of seriousness. I know that's obviously asking you is kind of a bit of a juxtaposition in its nature, <laughs> but, but what would you say? If, if I said to you, right, Kieran, I want to set myself my own sessions do you think there's a formula or do you think there's a way that you should start like you know do you think you should have you should set yourself a routine for a week and you should stick with it so like you always have a certain rest day or do you think you should try and vary it like are there any rules that you apply to yourself that you might say for other people it depends what their experience is with running um someone of your experience i'd say go to a running club and just do whatever the coach there told you to do right um just because you don't have a big wealth of experience you have the experience of kind of quote unquote coaching yourself and just going out for runs to try and complete a distance and then you have the coaching that I've given you which you can't you've kind of got a taste of one kind of one philosophy of coaching and there's lots of different kind of philosophies out there I mean I've been exposed to quite a few of them myself and I've put myself through different tests to come up with kind of how I coach people now through the two years or two and a half years that I was coaching myself I would try quite a lot of different things. And I'm even trying new things now under my current coach. Yeah. And you're kind of learning all the time. So I think you need quite a lot of experience with running. Okay. Um, But the main thing, I think, if somebody's coaching themselves, the main thing to kind of remember is two things. First of all, to take a step back 
and think what would i advise somebody that i was coaching okay if i were if i were the coach and somebody else were the athlete what would i have them do you know today or in this training block or in this macro cycle and then also just who knows your body best yeah it's you yeah, you know your own body better than anybody else, better than any coach. I mean, you'll have a lot of athletes will say, oh, my coach knows my own body better than I than I do. And I'm starting to find that to actually be more and more true <laughs> the longer I do work with a, a coach that has a really individualized approach. But And the longer I work with other athletes as well, I'll often find them be like, well, I can't believe that I've just done this. And I'll be like, well, I can. Yeah, yeah. Or I can't believe I'm this tired today after doing this. I'm like, well, think about what you did previously there's a reason why you're tired and you're going to come out the other end of it so uh short answer to your question if you have quite a lot of experience with different coaching systems and you've been coached before and you've been involved with running for a while i'd say take those two points on board and just roll with it right if not if you're relatively new to running i'd say just join a club you know have fun with the social aspect communicate as much as you can with the coach but don't take the piss with his time because he's doing it for free yeah sure um his or her time i should say yeah um and yeah just the most important thing with new runners is most likely the more you run the better you're going to get at it and if you go to a club night and do a session two three times a week chances are that bit of faster running that you do if it's not tailored to you perfectly fine like you're still going to get better strong okay good yeah no um so i guess with the last little thing that we've got is moving on to working with a coach yeah and um, so basically like i said like the reason that i moved towards working with someone is i wanted to unlock that kind of next level of my potential and i was just a little bit too close to the action to see what i was missing right And now that i've kind of had someone kind of look at my training and have that 3d view of everything that i'm doing it kind of sticks out like a sore thumb to me what I was missing and what I still am missing and what what we've basically referred to it as what we're doing at the moment and we'll probably be next doing for the next you know, 12 to 18 months or so before we return to a program that looks a little bit more like what I was doing in the past is we're just filling holes. Right. We're just plugging different holes that I had in my training beforehand and that have then resulted in holes in my physiology now as an athlete, which I was probably slowly kind of filling in the cracks a little bit but yeah not not quite uh to the extent that we're we're going for it right now so (laughs) yeah yeah i think that's that's the biggest thing is it's we're taking a more holistic approach to training and yeah filling filling those filling those gaps in my training that i had before and i've seen performance in certain aspects go absolutely through the roof um I mean, the probably the best example of it is running twenty eight fifty two on the roads for ten k in a normal pair of shoes. I think that's that's something that I wouldn't have expected to have got so close to my track time. Yeah, especially on a course which, if anyone who's probably very few people listening to it will know of it or have run it, certainly much fewer will have run it. But the Julia's course in France is it's got a decent little incline in it, and it's three laps, so it's not a perfect fast course right it's not a world record type 10k course it's certainly slower than a track so to have had that performance there and we spoke after that race and we were like yeah it, i'm definitely in about 28 30 shape over 10k right. um and i've run yeah ran 13.53 under him coming off of pacing the london marathon for 15 miles which i think that was a 13 days previous that i had done that yeah. it might have even been 11 
Um, it's an odd number, I know that much. <laughs> an, an odd number, not much over 10. Which, obviously, I had to have been in pretty awesome shape to be able to do that. Like, just to be able to physically do that. So, yeah. the, whilst the big jump hasn't happened just yet, I'm quite confident that there's, yeah, there's a big jump coming. Especially yeah. over the 5K. I think the 5,000 on the track, I expect to run a lot quicker than I ever have before when it's i get the opportunity exciting yeah so it's and again to me it sounds like a lot of it is as you've explained it is being able to have that kind of fly on the wall approach to what you're doing because you don't necessarily want to because it takes a lot of time and energy to be able to come away and completely rethink what you're doing and to and to be critical of your own work you know if you go out and go yeah i felt good on that one i felt good on that one and yeah i obviously felt tired on that one because i had done all this stuff previously and mm. and knowing how to critique it and knowing how to look at somebody else's work is really important so it that that to me sounds like it's the biggest benefit you've had from a personal coaches and and also it's having that confidence in the relationship as well that you can really genuinely feel inspired and having somebody who feels inspired to invest in your time and your energy and your work is something that it does just it gives you something else doesn't it whether that's again personal professional whatever facet love life however you want to do it if you know that somebody else has got your back and they really believe in what your abilities are you're more likely to really hit your potential yeah exactly and i think probably the biggest thing as well is i can't speak enough for how much more relaxing training is now right having to plan it all yourself and you know, I think, should I do this session? Should I do this one? I mean, if we go off on a little bit of a tangent here, but I think it's a relevant tangent, is just manipulating sessions in certain ways. If we take that 10 400s that we've been using as an example, there is a million different ways you can manipulate the session of 10 400s. Or not even 10 400s. If we take 400 meters as the rep, there's about a million different ways you can manipulate this that session. Because, I mean, tell me which one of these sounds harder six 400s off of five minutes recovery or 20 400s off of 30 seconds recovery Ugh. see to me 20 400s doesn't sound as hard doesn't it no of six of them off of five minutes recovery you know how fast you're going to be running for those you know how much you're going to be throwing up you're going to be swimming <laughs> with lactic acid like that's going to be horrible that session i see what you mean yeah, okay, pro- that's yeah. probably the exact type of thing i need more of and we'll probably end up having to do over the summer in my training but yeah there's and there's a bunch of different ways that you can manipulate that even yeah like we said 10 400s if you can manipulate the recovery you manipulate the way you run those 10 400s you could run each hundred progressively you could do 200 slow 200 fast you could do you know run the middle 200 at mile pace and the opening and the final 100 meters at 10k pace there's a million different things you can do with that session to create different stimuluses yeah you can even with the recovery 60 seconds recovery is a completely different session to three minutes recovery true which is also a completely different session to lap jog recovery which is a completely different session to lap float recovery or 100 meter float recovery if you're doing 10 400s off of a lap recovery or you're doing 10 400s off of 100 meters recovery if you run those recoveries at the same pace those are completely different sessions but you could run one quick and one slow and then become very similar sessions. It's There's a lot of nuance to how you kind of break up sessions. And that's something that 
if you're self-coached, it's a lot of pressure to put on yourself to get that yeah. exactly right. As, as well as actually going out whereas, and be able to do the runs. Yeah, well. whereas yeah. if you just offload that onto somebody else and you just blindly trust them, I tell you what, which just, you have to do as an athlete. I've just thought of a great metaphor for it. It's like having it's like having sat nav, isn't it? If you're trying to yeah, if you're you trying go. to have the you have read, the room so, do it you yourself, don't read the yeah. road signs if you've got a sat nav. Exactly. You? Exactly. I, yeah. No. I tell you what. There's plenty of places that I wouldn't have a clue how to get to because I've just blindly followed sat nav half the time. <laughs> you actually had that experience today. You ended exactly. Up in the yeah. of nowhere in like one house or something. Yeah. That's that's how I've thought of it. Funnily enough, is uh, is thinking about getting lost. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Yeah. I think that's a that's a good little analogy. I'm trying to think of anything else that we haven't really covered. If there's anything that we've missed, um, yeah, drop us a comment and let us know. Even though we've told you that Sam isn't going to actually reply to you. <laughs> I'll reply in broad broad scopes. Don't worry. Be nice. Just. <laughs> Remember everyone, you can write Sam is vanilla if you want. Uh, there you go. Yeah, just, I'll, yeah. I'll take I'll, I'll take it. I'll take the criticism. <laughs> so there we go. So we've either got vanilla or something that we've missed today. <laughs> that's, oh, that's what we can expect to hear back from people. That's, that's what we get for winging it on the fly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think we've brought ourselves around to a nice, a nice conclusion from our just completely randomly winging it. Hopefully we haven't gone off on too many ridiculous tangents. No, I think we've I think we've done a right personally. Yeah. Proud of myself and patting myself on the back. <laughs> well done. I don't know if that will get picked up the the patting on the table. But all right, cool. Well, yeah, thanks for thanks for listening, guys. As ever, if you have any suggestions of things that you'd like to hear us drone on about for about an hour or so, uh, don't be afraid to get in touch and let us know. We've got a few things kind of in the pipeline. Hopefully, next time as well, we should have a fairly exciting announcement uh, at the beginning of the pod. So we're gonna. We're going to tease that. It involves running and it involves alcohol. And those are your clues. <laughs> um, We're doing the podcast smashed. <laughs> there's an idea. We should try that. Like Three it, bottles of red wine each. Oh, lovely. It'll be like drunk history. Remember that show? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So thanks for tuning in, guys. Thanks for for your continued support through through tough times. Keep running, even if you don't have any races to aim for. Just enjoy your training. As ever, don't eat bats. We know what harm that can do. And we will see you next time. Thanks so much. See you again.